You're listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. The World Bank says global energy prices will soar over 50% this year. Low-income households are hit the hardest as they spend three times more of their income on energy costs than other households. One movement that is working to tackle this energy burden and the climate crisis is energy democracy. That's taking energy generation and management out of the hands of corporations and putting it into the hands of communities. Our guest today is Crystal Huang, who's the National Coordinator for the Energy Democracy Project. From Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Crystal, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for being our guest today. It's an honor to be here. Well, we're going to dig into the nuts and bolts of really the work that you're doing at the Energy Democracy Project. But let's, first of all, define what energy democracy is. Those are two terms that people probably think they have an understanding of, but maybe not a full understanding of what it means together. What is energy democracy? Yeah, energy democracy, as it says, democracy is a very democratized term. So there's many ways of describing it. But ultimately, the way we describe it, there's actually a, um, a book in this book called Energy Democracy, um, Advancing Equity in Clean Energy Solutions. In that book, the definition is that energy democracy is the struggle to weaken the political domination of corporate, corporate interests in order to create our own energy system to restore the earth, drive sustainable economic life, and advance social empowerment. So put it in really short, simple term, energy democracy is just people having power. In a very literal sense. Politically and financially. Well, I think to have a full understanding of this movement, how it's emerged, I think it really gets to who actually controls our energy right now. And when we heard in the introduction that energy bills are soaring, but what we didn't mention in that introduction is at the same time, oil and gas companies are recording record profits. So it is very worthwhile, I think, for us to examine who currently controls our energy and how that has led to the situation where we are so mired in fossil fuels and how the fossil fuel fuel industry has such enormous political clout. So when we're talking about our current energy infrastructure, our utilities, who owns them? Yeah, definitely big corporations, shareholders own them. And a lot of times, even when we're talking about public utilities, it is still individual shareholders who are benefiting from it. Um, even though by democratic purpose, it is supposedly serving the public. So we're looking at municipal utilities to rural electric cooperatives and even federal co uh, federal utilities like Tennessee Valley Authority. A lot of times have we seen in the way governance structure has been working the way it is today when there is no accountability, no transparency, even when there is a structure that is supposed to be democratically um, and, dem and publicly controlled, most of the time it's really just left for the people in power to, to take advantage of it. So ultimately, over the last 100 years, we have been living in a system where we, every single one of us, have been told, you just sit back and pay your bills and don't worry about anything that's in the back end, and making us and our relationship with energy simply as a consumer. So all we need to do is just think about spending money or not even thinking about it and, and sometimes accumulating lots of debt. So um, in the 
there's a history of utility. We call it people's history of utility that's created by a number of project collaborators within Energy Democracy Project. Um, actually talk about how we get to where we are today. For a hundred years, there's many different policies that's been changed to take the power and control away from the people for the sake of safety, reliability, and even convenience. And so I think even today, a lot of people will be convinced to believe that, oh, I don't want to think about where my energy comes from, so I can just think about going to Disneyland or whatever consumers might want to do. But ultimately, if we think about energy is everything. So how can we change our relationship to start to understand what governing our life really looks like is what we really need to shift to and take the power away from the corporations. I think understanding that is really at the heart of why it seems to be so hard to get traction on renewable energies from a political perspective. And and when we look at really how electric electricity is generated in this country, it's very often very centralized. So you have these huge um, generation stations, very often coal powered. Um, and then you have this system of transmission lines um, and distribution networks. So that's what's bringing it to your house. And because this is the system that we've traditionally had, we seem to be so mired then in fossil fuels. And then these conversations that I think do nothing but confuse people about the technology of it. Well, we can't just switch, you know, flip a switch and have it now be green energy because this is our system. You know, talk a little bit about that, the centralization right now of how electricity and power is generated and what that means as we're moving away from that, or at least trying to. Yeah, well, we're really looking at things being centralized. I think it's important to understand that when things are being centralized and our role really being reduced down as a consumer, what ends up happening is that we have no control of what how things work. So that our relationship with it, again, is about paying bills. And our imagination of energy is the hardware. So a lot of the debate around the energy transition is always reduced down into the hardware. Are we talking about big power plants like the coal power plant or nuclear power plants or any sort of centralized power plants? Or are we talking about smaller things like rooftop solar, batteries, but ultimately, when we talk about energy democracy, it's not about the hardware. It's about the power struggle. It's about who gets to control these things. So then people actually have consent about what's happening in their own backyard. When we're talking, like, when we, we, we have pollution that happens and that you have control of where it should, it, where it should exist, most people would actually have a real conversation with their neighbors and actually truly practice what we really want to envision our livelihood should be like and have that kind of conversation. So when we're really thinking about um, energy, centralized energy, in many ways, is really talking about our decision-making power taken away from us. And of course, there are going to be centralized like energy models that an infrastructure that could work as long as there are governance structure in place that has transparency, accountability, and real inclusion of the workers and the communities who are directly impacted by the infrastructure. But right now we have not really seen any infrastructure and governance structure that truly does that. So this is why now in order for us to achieve this, we have to talk about how do we decentralize the power so communities across the country can actually decide for themselves on how the energy is generated, how it's being consumed and how they relate to it so they can talk about how to truly govern it. Well, let's dig into that decentralization a little bit, because I think people might have an image in their mind of the ultimate decentralized energy production 
is uh, rooftop solar. You put a, some solar panels on your roof and boom, you are creating your own energy. There's a lot more to the picture than that. And there's a lot of discussion about who has access to that, because of course there's enormous cost in creating these systems just for you in your house. So what are the stories that need to be told about how communities are working to decentralize some of this energy uh, you know, production and transmission, but also the management of it? Because I know that uh, your organization embarked on a, a national tour to hear some of these stories. So what, what are communities doing right now around this issue? Yeah, so um, I'll first paint the the bad picture that most people don't really think about. What a lot of times when we think about rooftop solar, we just think, oh yeah, if I can put solar on my own roof, I can be opted out of this grid and be energy free or energy independent without understanding that all everything we do is in the interdependent to each other. And we've all experienced that during the COVID pandemic where if our neighbors aren't doing well, we're not likely not going to do well. So how can we actually figuring out a solution that we can come together and take care of each other? And when we're talking about rooftop solar, we have to be mindful that there are large corporations who are capitalizing on people's rooftop and controlling how they can extract profit off of people's rooftops, sometimes in a very scammy way that actually creates a lot of problems, especially for low-income communities, even with, with rooftop solar, with this promise of being away from industrial utilities. So now how do we actually talk about communities actually have ownership and control of the energy either on their own rooftop or in their community so they actually have a choice and, and make decisions democratically? So a lot of times when you really think about putting solar on roofs, it's really easy for people to say, well, you don't want to have to make all the decisions. This is why you want to hire a company that owns everything. So all you have to do is just pay slightly cheaper bill. But that's a selling point for this centralized top-down model for corporations to continue to control our lives. We're really looking at the maximum community benefit. We need to understand this is way more than just electricity bill saving. Energy is the driving force of our entire economy. So if we can start to figure out how to control energy, we're really thinking about how we can start to create job opportunity for, for not just people to come on our roofs to install solar on roofs, but really talking about bringing electricity generation locally. So how can we actually have people not just being hired, but actually own businesses and collectively decide how to build a more vibrant community through their business economy. But at the same time, how do we then work together as a, either municipal agency to make decisions on what type of infrastructure they want to invest into for cheaper housing or more healthcare or more funding for education can all go in. So I'll give you some examples of what things could look like. So obviously the, the clearest way we can look at it is like community energy cooperative development. There are thousands of people who are coming together to form clean energy cooperatives as an alternative to investor-owned utilities, where they can come together, build wealth, talk about energy. But there's also them coming together, building financing mechanism. How do you set up funds to allow communities to have the capital needed to be part of the transition? And then we're also talking about like clean energy workforce development. How do you work with universities? How do you work with um, unions to actually make the workforce a lot more diverse and actually going into the real transition to local clean energy instead of the continuous centralized energy that's controlled by the corporate boardroom? And then we're looking at 
like Green New Deal, local control of energy sourcing or just transition um, plan locally, climate action plan. Many cities are signing on to these things with climate task force, local Green New Deals or local climate action plans that many communities have been driving towards. And how do we actually integrate the energy infrastructure design for more than just decarbonization, but really talking about allowing communities to actually have a say in talking about where the wealth for these new infrastructure should go to, especially when we're going through these transition. How do we make sure the transition is redistributing wealth back to the people instead of just letting the same 1% who started the climate crisis to continue to extract wealth from all of us? Do you think right now there's a missed opportunity with the soaring energy costs, but also these massive profits being raked in by the oil and gas industries? I mean, there are conversations happening about implementing and imposing a windfall tax, but that doesn't have any long term impact in terms of well, what, where are we going to be in 50 years, in 100 years? And how do we completely transform our economy? Because uh, as you said, you know, when we talk about energy, it's really our economy that we're talking about as well. So it seems with all of the conversations happening, whether it's the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the rising uh, energy prices, there's a missed opportunity to push forward the benefits of a green economy and the economic benefits of that. Yeah, I think the biggest shortcoming in a lot of the narrative that we're seeing today is the decarbonization narrative. The whole focus on decarbonization and looking at carbon footprint without remembering the fact that the whole concept of carbon footprint actually is a PR sham from British Petroleum. They hired PR firm to create this concept so that they can push the responsibility to the individual consumers so they do not have to change their way of doing things in the fossil fuel industry. So when we continue to spin this concept of carbon reduction, we end up missing the point of where the political power is, is lying that is causing climate disaster. So what we're seeing now today is how do we build the larger, more expanded electricity grid, the 21st century electricity grid that is perpetuating the same centralized energy model that is very top down and still putting a lot of power in not only corporate boardrooms, but also politicians who do not actually have real interest in supporting the people who are at the front line of most of the disasters. And so when we're perpetuating this problem, we're also seeing this expansion of electric vehicle, which obviously means we need to mine more raw minerals, green minerals like lithium ion, for lithium ion batteries. And when we look at all of these new infrastructure that's needed, we are increasing more consumption. So at what point are we going to stop and realize that the more consumption we have um, to create this green energy transition, the more oil and gas we're going to require to run the machinery, to drill for more for mining and for more water, for things like lithium extraction requires thousands of tons of water for a few tons of lithium in itself. So are we, is this a, is this a, are we going into the cycle to lie to ourselves that we're actually creating progress for climate change or are actually looking at the real economic structure that is created to extract wealth from the people and health from the people. So when, at what point can we actually stop looking at technology, but really looking at the governing structure and start looking at, at transparency, 
accountability of those that are currently in power so we can actually put power back into the hands of the people. I think one last really big thing that we're truly missing is the the possibility of people coming together. I think in a lot of the narratives that we're seeing today, what's missing the most is the fact that people as communities can come together and solve problems. Most of the time we see solutions, either big corporation or or government or some nonprofits that comes in and solve problems or individual superheroes. But we're completely missing out on amazing communities across the country that are that are organizing and changing narrative. One of the most amazing story I love to share is in the Gulf South. Since the Hurricane Katrina 17 years ago, they've been organizing, recognizing any sort of top-down model is gonna come and distract everyone. And they have been organizing and starting to build power and trying to make sure people understand the solution is in the people at the front line of the climate disaster and they have the answer. They are not the victim. So how do we actually change the story to truly see the solutions actually already happening right now on the ground? Crystal Huang is the National Coordinator for the Energy Democracy Project. You can find out more about their work at energydemocracy.us. And you can find out more about the Just Solutions podcast and watch past episodes at freespeech.org. Crystal, you mentioned that community there uh, in the Gulf Coast. You know, tell us exactly what it is they're doing, because very often... You know, people don't understand how does this play out? Do we then get a solar garden for our community? Do we get off the grid? I mean, what is that community doing to have this type of grassroots energy that's controlled and managed and coordinated by their community? Yeah, and I'll use example not just limited to the Gulf South, but the fact that people are coming together and use a lot of community meetings, food parties, festivals that celebrates life and joy at the same time talking about what energy really means. They will have a little games to get people to understand the energy infrastructure more than just the wires and poles, but really understand like, what do you care about in life? And really thinking about not just jobs, but thinking about food, security, stability, housing, and everything that we generally think about, education, they're all connected to energy. So how can we have a more comprehensive review of what we want to see our community could look like. And there are communities through clean energy cooperatives like Cooperative Energy Futures in Minnesota or Co-op Power in the Northeast in New England area and People Power Solo Cooperative in California and a number of different cooperatives engaging with their members to have these conversations. But of course, there are many different groups like um, in the South where we have Appalachian Voices working with Southeast Environmental Network, working on the narrative around energy democracy, y'all. This really amazing listening tour where they have community meetings to really understand their power bill and understand what they mean and really build relationship with each other and start to dream about what could be possible and make the demand that's necessary. And then we go down south like in Mississippi where they're they're primarily supported or, or served by Rural Electric Cooperative, which on its name, it should mean very democratic, but for the most part, because it was built during the racist period, a lot of the structure is actually causing a lot of racial inequality. Most black and brown communities there spend more than 51% of their household income just on electricity alone when the power provider is a cooperative. So organizations like One Voice in Jackson, Mississippi and Southern Echo 
would organize their community and talk about the power bill and really understand what energy really looks like and how they can govern the rural electric cooperative that's serving them and actually run for the board. And that's happening in Alaska or in Georgia. It's happening all across the country where people are just understanding energy better so we can break apart from the narrative that we've been fed for the past 100 years that, oh, you're just a consumer and we're here to make your life better and you can just sit back and don't worry about anything and whatever you're worried about in the news with the depressing stuff around climate change and war and anything around shut off, that's a different issue. The company's got it. But how can we actually take a pause and think, actually, they're all connected and how can we engage with each other and have real conversation as a community and vision what the future could look like, create a roadmap that's happening all across the country and coming up with real plans to submit to the government, even though we continue to be ignored and silenced by the government agency that includes the Public Service Utilities Commission to um, FEMA sometimes too, that's happening in Puerto Rico right now with um, Hurricane Maria hit back in 2017. And there, there's $12 billion allocated from federal funding, that's all of our taxpayer money, money through FEMA to rebuild the electricity system in Puerto Rico. And right now they're very likely spending that $12 billion to rebuild the same old fossil fuel centralized system so then they can continue the economic model. But over the past four or five years, civil society have come together called the Cueremos Sol Coalition to put together this We Want Sun proposal, a comprehensive proposal talking about community empowering decentralized solar plus storage that allows communities to have resiliency, stability, and affordable energy. They're all happening and we're all organizing, teaching ourselves working together, coordinating across policymakers or policy wonks, technical people, um, community groups, educators, everyone you can think of, the technical folks coming together, learn with each other and come up with solutions. But what the hardest part is happening is that we are being ignored because the narrative that communities can have a solution is just not part of our narrative. So what support do these communities need? Because managing and understanding and, and coordinating energy, you know, production and transmission in your community, it's a big lift for many communities that wouldn't necessarily have that expertise. And so, you know, how can communities even even start these conversations, given that this is not something that most people are talking about over the, you know, the fence with their neighbor at their kitchen table with their family members? Oh, you know, what can we do about our energy transmission and production? You know, so these are can be very highly technical, of course. You're talking about the economics, the, the technological aspect of all of this. So as you said, you know, there's not enough space for these conversations, but what support is there? I know your organization is out there supporting folks. So if somebody's watching right now, listening to us, and they're like, we can start something like this in our community, where did they even begin? Yeah, so I think one way to, to start, the simplest way is to try try do your best to, to practice Imagine your relationship with energy, not as a consumer. And it's easy to say, but if you, if there are some exercises that I could Im invite folks to do is every time you take a breath, whether you're doing your yoga, you're running, exercising, or just taking a breath, taking a break from the long day, any moment you're taking a breath, just remember that 
every single breath you're taking, you are having a relationship with the plants that created the oxygen and the sun and the moon that allowed the plants that created the oxygen and all life on earth that creates it. And that is how we experience the living world. And that whole vibrant exchange of energy, that energy is constantly exchanging between you and I and all life on earth is what energy is. Our relationship with energy is not trying to look for the thing to consume. We're constantly exchanging energy by saying joyful, telling joyful story to each other, to eating amazing food, to taking electricity from the wall. All of that is having a relationship. Like the, the electricity you've got might be coming from the coal power of plant that's hundreds of miles away from you. It could be coming from the solar that's on your roof. It could be all of the things. And how do you understand that energy is truly everything and appreciate that fact and then read into what energy democracy looks like uh, you can i would strongly encourage you to read into the book i'll hold it up again energy democracy um, advancing clean energy solution and uh, equity and clean energy solution so this book has 10 different strategy on what how to advance energy democracy and 10 different perspective of energy democracy. And also join, come to our website, look for energy democracy organizations. Energy democracy project is now one organization that we do top down work, just like energy democracy. Everything is very democratic. So our work is, well, what we are is really just a, we're a collaborative and in a, a, a collection of close to 40 different organizations on the ground that's actively democratizing energy. And we're trying to look for more friends who are democratizing energy so then people who are interested in looking into, into this topic can find it in their backyard. Contact us and we'll connect you to the people. We need more stories like these to be told because this is the moment. We have, at this moment, we have the opportunity to determine the future of energy and the future of our entire society because energy, again, determines our economy. So if you are, if you are upset at the inequality of our eco economy, how do we actually be part of shaping that is really by being part of the conversation with the people in your community. And as we mentioned at the very beginning, the energy burden is borne the, the greatest really by low income families and communities of colour. And you gave some examples of how uh, families of colour, communities of colour are paying a much higher uh, percentage of their income on energy. So with energy democracy, I know that equity is at its core. And so just we have just uh, a couple of minutes left, Crystal, I mean, just reinforce how energy is so integrated into social and racial justice in this country as well. Yes, in, indeed. I think, in fact, um, black in the, back in the Black Panther days, the um, federal government was trying to shut down the Black Panther parties. And so then they could not continue to build power and serve the people and have people working each other. And the way they try to shut down the power of the Black Panther Party is by shutting down their power, literally the electricity. And so how people can come together and figure out how to turn it back on is really important things. And right now with climate, increasing climate disaster that's happening, we're going to have a lot more power shut off from the wildfire, from the stronger storm. So how can people come together and take care of each other and build that relationship that is needed to continue the changing of, of our economy instead of just taking care of your own household and look at everything as a zero sum game, but really recognizing that Together, we have so much more and 
as we've seen a lot of the reports that low-income communities actually give way more than upper middle class to upper class people. So how do we lean in and work together and build trust with each other and build a relationship to shape that future we need is how we can achieve energy democracy and take care of each other and take care of, of our future generation. Thank you very much for being our guest today, Crystal. It's such an honor. Thank you. Crystal Huang is the National Coordinator for the Energy Democracy Project. You can find out more about their work, find out resources and how you can get involved in the movement at their website, energydemocracy.us. And you can find out more about us, watch past episodes and engage with us at our website, freespeech.org. Engage with us on social media and join the conversation. Hashtag Just Solutions at Free Speech TV. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. I'm Maeve Conran for Free Speech TV's Just Solutions. Mm-hmm.